Unbelievable the number of playoff drivers that have had problems tonight. What a disaster, man. Take it to the truck. We didn't have it tonight. Tight from the word go. Everyone is already pushing hard. Had I made me sick? I thought we were going to have another DNF. Got super free. Hit the wall. This levels the playing field as far as the points lead that Chase had. I can't see the car. All I see is the plane. That wasn't smoldering on the fourth car. That was a bomb fire. I couldn't make myself sit in there and burn up. The 18 is blowing up. Had a great car and don't come out with anything to show for it. That's what I really hate about it. Jones is going to win the Southern 500. Yeah! Hell yeah! Everybody, welcome to NASCAR America. Steve Latart, and on our very first NASCAR yeah. America, Kim <laughs> Kuhn, glad to have you. Uh, we have a full show, so buckle up. We have tons of guests. We've got Eric Jones, Austin Sendrick, NBC IndyCar experts, Townsend Bell, Jane Chinchcliffe, to tell us all about their finale. But as always, the show is about you. 844-NASCAR-NBC. Call us. Anything you want to talk about, no politics allowed, just racing. That will cover. <laughs> Guys, fun race at Darlington. What were your first thoughts? Oh, well, listen, going into it, I've always thought uh, the Southern 500 is one of the marquee races of the year. It's a crown jewel race for me. I know it is for about everyone in the garage. And I, I wasn't sure if the absolute toughest test on the schedule is what should kick off the playoffs. <laughs> uh, but now I'm all in, Cam Wright. 16 guys have made the playoffs. Congratulations go to, uh, you know, the track too tough to tame. And, and it reared its head. It was anything but straightforward. I loved it. It had absolutely everything you could ask for if you're a race fan, including the history element. Eric Jones winning in the 43, the 200th win. Phenomenal. Couldn't have asked for a better finish, in my opinion. I think that 2022 has been the year of complete unknowns, and these playoffs started off exactly the same way. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's just continuation. I'm like you, it's diabolical to start the playoffs at Darlington. It's like, we're going to mess you guys up right, right. now. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty fun, though. But let's go back and check out the playoff leaderboard after Darlington to see what it looks like now. Joey Logano had a solid night. He's 38 points to the good. Uh, and all the way on the other end, Kevin Harvick, 13 behind. No one secured themselves into the next round. No one eliminated themselves from the first round. Um, a little bit of a head start in either direction, like Harvick and Briscoe. They really can't have a bad Kansas, in my opinion. Logano, Byron, Hamlin, Bell, really even Tyler Reddick, maybe even Blaney with a spectacular Kansas, even short of a win. Um, maybe not mathematically, but I'll think they'll sleep a whole lot better going to Bristol. I love this because it is... Nobody is paving the way. You look at yeah. Joey Logano, yeah, he had a good day, but he's only 38 to the good. If we looked at prior to Darlington, Chase came in 35-plus. Where is he now? He dropped eight spots. He's now ninth on the playoff board. So nobody locked themselves in, but nobody locked themselves out either, which is what I love. Everybody is still on the playing board when we go to Kansas, and you could make that case depending on what happens this weekend, maybe for Bristol, too. Hey, Kim's fired. No pep talks from Kim. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about Logano feel good. Now she's no. going to say, well, look what happened to Chase. Logano should not feel you, good. Jay. Well, let's do this to get everybody backfired back up after Kim's <laughs> a big pep talk. Yeah. Let's go through the field presented by eBay Motors. It felt like it was blown up. I've blown up a lot this year, so I know what it feels like, and uh, it felt exactly like that. I, I, I don't know. I'm just glad that it wasn't terminal, and we're able to get out there and, and fight back from three dots down. I think the RPM was just further down in a range that we hadn't been in all night, and it, it was odd. I, I really was concerned, and you know, obviously got the car a little bit better, but but it just you know it felt fine again. So I don't know uh, what that was, or maybe something changed with the exhaust. Engine broke. So just unfortunate circumstances for us tonight. Just had a great car and um, don't come out with anything to show for it. That's that's what I really, really hate about it. I mean, we can't come in and change the engine. We can't. We're, nothing we're going to do about it. We're never going to give up track position to fix something, even if it's obvious anyway. So uh, that late in the race, I just looked at it, said it was a tough one for those guys. Yeah, it wasn't ideal, that's for sure. Especially after Richmond, we saw uh, Ty Gibbs have an engine issue, and then myself and Kyle both had engine issues at Watkins Glen. Yeah, it's definitely on the back of our minds, but I have all the faith in the world that the guys at TRD are going to get it figured out, and we'll uh, keep it rolling. Whenever I need, I'm going to get him back. I'm not saying that he's going to be in Kansas or Richmond, so, but definitely he owe me one, and, uh, and, and I'm going to save that for, for later. Yeah, there, when Chase wrecked, you know, he went into one and just plugged the fence, and I saw him spinning. I felt like if I stayed up on the bank, I was going to be okay. And 
he started coming back, and I, as soon as I locked the tires up on the brakes, I just started sliding with him and, and had nowhere to go. I'm disappointed and frustrated with, with having a really bad result, you know, ultimately making a mistake that, that cost us a, a solid day. You have something like that happen, there's absolutely nothing I can do about it um, after the fact as much as I would love to. I'm sure it's just the crappy parts on the race car like we've seen so many times. What a disaster, man. No, no reason. We didn't touch the wall, we didn't touch the car, and, and here we are in the pits with a burned-up car and can't finish the race during the playoffs because of crappy-ass parts. Well, that was Through the Field presented by eBay Motors. You can be your own pit crew with 122 million parts right at your fingertips. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. Kim, 122 million parts. I'm always fascinated That's by that. That's a lot of parts. That's a lot of parts. Uh, how many let's, burned let's, up right here then? If it's 122 million, <laughs> how many are on fire? Do you think? <laughs> well, but he needs some parts after that. Uh, <laughs> clearly, he made it known what he thinks about uh, the parts on that car. Um, listen, let's get right into it. Let's talk. You know, winners and losers from this weekend. Let's get right at it. Uh, Kevin Harvick, you heard what he said. Clearly, they come out on the loser end of that. A very tough situation for he and that team. Well, I think what makes it more frustrating is is. Even though Kyle Busch didn't do anything wrong and his team didn't do anything wrong, his collective team let him down with an engine failure, right? Kevin Harvick, I can't make that same statement, right? This car's on fire on the racetrack. And um, from what I understand, I, I'm not sure if there was a huge opportunity for this four car to do anything different. And, and we're, we saw some rule changes heading into this weekend to try to prevent fires like this. So, so I understand Kevin's uh, frustration there. I think we could have a whole show about this fire and about Kevin skipping past that the result is the big loser at Darlington because now he's at the bottom of the leaderboard and and when we go to Kansas you know Kim I think it's anything but straightforward how that race could run yeah minus 13 doesn't make me too afraid for this team though because that can easily be made up in stage points and if any team in this playoffs can prove themselves with their back against the wall it's Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers. So for them, I think it's motivation. Kevin, obviously, very fired up in yeah. that audio and video we just saw. And so, yes, one of the big losers of the night, but I think they turn this into their motivation for the next two races of this round. Well, they're going to need to, and I think that team is solid. I've got them going all the way to the championship four. So uh, I think that team is capable. But what they can't, they're not afforded any more issues, even if it's not their fault. If you have too many, you just can't recover from them. So uh, that's what concerns me about those guys. Uh, you mentioned it, Kyle Busch. Uh, you know, they ran really well. I Going into the race, I, I made the bold prediction that he was going to win and not win by a little bit, that he would dominate. I thought that he did his job. I thought the team did their job. 155 laps. But to your point, everything's got to work. But this is the first time Kyle Busch has looked like Kyle Busch in a long, long, long time. So... I have connected it with the contract conversation because I just think that's an emotional drain on anyone. Um, we hear once again this week that maybe news will be coming, but we've heard that since about the middle of the summer, so I'm not going to put a lot of uh, collective weight on that. So forget all of that. Maybe it was just the playoffs. And if it's just the playoffs, they got that out of Kyle Busch, forget the engine. The engine's an anomaly. If that car sticks together and that's the Kyle Busch we get for the next two races, then I have zero concern. Well, let's change the game a little bit. Let's get back positive. Kim, I'm going to let you get positive since you ran okay. us down earlier. So okay. who do you feel like had a good night? I think Christopher Bell. He gained the most spots when you're looking at the playoff grid. I think he's a little bit of a dark horse. I don't know that many people maybe have them going you know, to the round of eight, even the championship four, but he has slowly this season become one of the front runners, and he's done it quietly. People sometimes, I think, forget about Christopher Bell. So he's a big winner for me. And I actually, I know that people will argue against Larson and Chastain being winners. I don't know that they were necessarily winners of the night, but for as bad as I thought they were going to finish at points in yeah. this race, they rebounded, both of them. I mean, there was a point where Chastain was like four laps down. He ended up, I think, one lap down. And then same with Larson. At one point, we thought he was going to blow up and they weren't going to be able to finish the race. So while not necessarily winners... I don't think that they're the losers that some people think for this race. I, for me, the biggest winner of the night was William Byron. Mm. Because much like you had the four car going into the championship four, I had William Byron exiting in this round. It mm. had just been forever. One top ten in the last 18 races. I mean, I had seen nothing out of a team 
that was so good. Now, I know he's going back to Darlington, a place he could have won. But, Jeff, how many times have you and I yeah. gone back to a race a second time and it's like we've never been there before? So I didn't believe it. I wasn't believing the hype for the 24 car. I didn't think Darlington was going to be, uh, you know, the CPR this team needed to get them back going again. Now he's second, plus 32. I think the opposite. He afforded himself a little breathing room. Now mm-hmm. he can go to Kansas and maybe, you know, shake shake the cobwebs off and try to continue this hot streak. So I, I agree. I love your two picks, but I would add Byron as a major winner this weekend. Well, our poll center for tonight is Aaron from California. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. Um, I just have a cool question, actually. You guys kind of hit, hit, uh, hit, hit it there with Kyle Larson. Um, my question is, should I be worried about him going into Kansas? Because um, if he has another engine, even if he thinks it's going to be an engine issue, uh, I, 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 he's, he doesn't have enough to, to recover. He's going to be below the, below the points, and that's going to be it. Um, All right, so should I be worried? Kim, this is your first NASCAR it America, is. so you get the first call. I don't think you should be worried. The chances of them having an engine issue two weeks in a row, I just can't see happening. They're going to put every single bright mind over at HMS to figure out what the problem was and make sure it doesn't happen again. He's a former winner at Kansas, so I don't know necessarily that he knocks it out of the ballpark and has a home run in Kansas, but I think he's safe in Kansas. I don't see, think that we see more issues under the hood. So the the con- I don't disagree. The counter argument would be that they didn't have an engine failure. Yeah, that's like, yeah. so, 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 and I say that yes. because I think it's confusing. while it would have hurt more in points if you come in and you break a valve spring or a valve or a peach, you come in and say, man, okay, that's what we have to fix. Um, I'm not sure if they know 100% with, without any sort of question what it was that William and, and Bowman, I mean, some of the toughest things to diagnose are the issues that correct themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. then you're like, man, can we recreate it? Uh, but I'm with you. If the car stays underneath him, Kyle Larson, the only thing I would say is I think he could cannonball in. I mean, I think he could go out and just wear him out um, mm. at Kansas. I mean, he is so good at those, uh, you know, low-grip racetracks. But but we'll see. I mean, it, my head spun all the way home Sunday night. A lot happened in that race. When you said cannonball in, I thought you meant it was going to be a bad result. No, 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 no. When I cannonball in, I'm jumping into the party. a belly flop would be a bad. That's right. When I cannonball in, it's like we're getting the party started. It's a full cannonball. I've been on the other side of that, and it's not a party. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, I, all right, let's let's keep talking about this. I'm going to tell you guys. I think somebody that had a good bad night was was Austin Dillon. There was okay. a moment in that race where he looked like he was going to run 30th. I mean, he couldn't. I mean, literally, yeah, couldn't do anything. He was struggling hard, and they rallied. They fought. Now, listen. They didn't get a great finish, but they were putting themselves in a position where they were going to have to really do a great job for the next two weeks. Now they're in the position where if they have average days, they might can work themselves in. They were that close. They were that close with how many playoff points they have coming into the race to put themselves in a kind of a must-win situation going to the second race of the year. The, the key that the, the three-team has to unlock very slender for me is the stage points. I mean, William Byron only outran him mm-hmm. by, we'll call it, less than 10 spots, right? Nine spots. But yet he gained way more points because he was up there consistently. Right. This is the, and it's not even a new world. This is right. Like we used to say only the last lap matters. Now I will say there are three laps that really matter. The end of stage one, the end of stage two. I look down at Austin Dillon, 24th and 18th. So Kim, I know you're down there on a pit road. You hear these fiery radios. I think those teams that recover, that's fine, but they are losing ground uh, not running well in the stages. Uh, absolutely look, losing ground. And Austin, we've seen this problem all year long from them in terms of not being able to get stage points. And it's something that other teams have been able to do very well. And so I ultimately think that's going to be their detriment, their Achilles heel. And I don't, I'm not getting the cheerleading I want from Justin Alexander on that mm. team. Uh, he's already announced he's not going to be back. You know, very different and strikingly different from a guy like Ty- Tyler Reddick, his teammate. That pep talk he got from Rounder Burnett during oh, the yeah. race was, like, incredible. So I just think there's some dynamics maybe on that three team that aren't going to push them very far into well, the Well, do you think, and we, I want to bring this up um, because we talked about it after Daytona. I didn't know if the win for Daytona was going to be the emotional kind of flood that mm-hmm. would carry him into the playoffs or you would leave Daytona and just be just exhausted like like think about what they went through Sunday in Daytona now I know they got the job done but they sat there in the rain delay yeah. they st- like that is an emotional day and, and it sounds good 
But you see it a lot in a lot of sports, right? If somebody comes back and wins a great game three, they're flat in game four because they put it all on the floor. I do believe that can happen to a race team. Well, and on top of that, they were extremely frustrated the last two months of the year. Like, things weren't going well. No. They weren't running well. They were extremely frustrated. It's very easy to go back to that place. It's very easy to say, oh, God, we won Daytona, but we're right back where we were. That's when the cheerleading comes in. That's when, hey, man, we got to go. Mm-hmm. We got to go. They got to pick each other up. The driver's got to do it. The spotter's got to do it. The crew chief's got to do it. They got to pick each other up in those moments. And I think they did. I mean, I think that they recovered. They, they, they made something out of potentially a catastrophe of a night. Uh, another, well, back to the loser category, Chase Elliott. We talked about Oof. it over and over and over how this point season, no one separated themselves except for Chase Elliott, and they gave that all away in turn one uh, Sunday night. And, and from what Chase Elliott said was, a, you know, was an error, it was a driver error. Now, I, I'm good with it. I'm good with the driver error. I think Chase, these cars are hard to drive. It's, it's not easy to, to make speed. And we've seen this all year long. It's difficult that it's in the playoffs, but I don't think this is the first time we're going to see a driver make a mistake in the playoffs. No, and the very interesting point to me, you see them working on the car right now, they got those extra four minutes on yeah. the DVB clock, and it did not work in their favor. So I think maybe some teams thought that they were going to be able to get away with certain damage to their race car during these playoffs, and maybe that, you know, the 10 minutes is going to help when we see guys, you know, have insignificant damage or tolling here and there. But I think a lot of people maybe thought it was going to be a crutch. Oh, this is going to help us out so yeah. much. And it, it didn't help the nine car. I think it would have saved the wall contact. But then when the 14 came in, yeah. when I rewatched that wreck, he, he makes a mistake getting into turn one, gets loose, hard contact to the wall. I think that's reasonable damage. But then when he slides up, it kind of ruined his night and the 14 at the same time. I think that was the, the – and I'm okay with that, actually. I just want to make sure, like, 10 minutes – his first contact in the wall, that car should have, been, should have been able to continue. But the 14 hit him. Like, I'm okay that ends your day. I mean, that, that was pretty hard contact. Yeah, I agree with you. Not every, not every wreck should be fixable. There should be a penalty yeah. for wrecking. Yeah. Uh, other than it hurting, that's always there. But, uh, all right, our second call of the night, Michelle. Yes, hi. I would just like to know how Kyle Petty feels about saying, Alex Bowman was going to be out this first round and how good he did. I love that. Did you hear? Let's, now, Kyle, let me, let me text well, it. He gets called out. What did he say? Kyle's a no-showman. So, yeah, so listen, no I, I love was... Kyle, and I love that he will definitely uh, find a driver to, to put in the crosshairs, yeah. and it was Alex Bowman uh, in the pre-race. But what I love about sports is I thought what Kyle had to say, well, maybe I wouldn't have worded it the same way, the numbers defended it. The numbers would say uh, that, that, that you know, while it was Kyle Petty-esque, the delivery was very <laughs> Kyle Petty. Yeah. He wasn't way uh, off to say where has he been for the last little bit. I mean, he hasn't had a top five since Dover. Right. And I love when you poke an athlete in the chest and he goes, okay, just hold on. And, like, that is, that's what makes sports so great. Uh, I tell everybody, it's the best reality TV there is because it's still reality. Like, you have to go out there and perform. So, I don't know if Greg Ives should thank Kyle Petty because he fired up Alex Bowman or, or if uh, they should be mad at Kyle Petty. But either way, they had a good night. Yeah, well, they've thrived on this underdog mentality. I've talked to Greg week in and week out, and they say, we're always the underdog. Nobody expects us to do good. Now, I think they need to expect more out of themselves because, to your point and mine, like we haven't seen anything from them since the beginning of the season. But if, if that's what they need to, to get going, I think they're going to – OKP a Christmas card if it continues this way for both of them. Welcome to racing. We had Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, who've been the best Hendrick cars all year long. They both had issues. And then the two that have struggled all year long, they did the best. Welcome to 2022. That's just how it is. And then a non-playoff guy won, which never happens (laughs) in the first race of the playoffs. And speaking of that non-playoff guy, we got Eric Jones. Uh, He's going to join us next. It's going to be great to have him. So cool to see Eric win that race. That's a wheel man right there. He proved it again on Sunday. Five laps to go from Darlington. Look at that 43 and 1 and 2, though. So fast. 16 winners already in 2022. Eric Jones would like to make that 17. This place is going to be electric if this 43 goes to victory lane. Jones is going to win the Southern 500. Yeah! Great job, Victor. Love you guys. No, it was going to be a tough one to win, I knew, but better fitting place man i love this track i love this race that is the 200 win 
for the 43. Well, that was the call from our man Rick Allen in the booth, and he was talking about this man, Eric Jones. Eric, first of all, thanks for joining. Congratulations. It's impressive when a driver gets his third win and two of them of Covent Darlington in the Southern 500. Like, I, I, that is some impressive stats. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take it for sure. Uh, but, you know, Darlington's always just been one of my favorite places and really like going there and uh, specifically just the, the 500, the way that race transitions into the night from the day, from the start of the race is always a lot of fun for me. I, I really have fun with that race. So uh, pretty cool. That's, that's one, uh, a big one to win, that's for sure. And, and pretty cool to have that one twice. So Eric, why are you so good at Darlington? Uh, I wish I knew the answer totally. I think uh, a lot of it is that it reminds me of just tracks I raced growing up you know the surface on it how abrasive it is how slick it is I, I just really like racing on uh the slicker and worn out places and you know some of the layout a little bit reminds me of uh, probably Winchester Speedway which was a place I had a lot of success at in, in a super late model growing up and so I guess those two kind of things just play good for me and then been fortunate just had some great cars too you know uh, the, the couple times being able to win there had cars you know obviously capable of doing it but just for sure one of my favorite tracks well you're no stranger to victory lane on the cup side but your crew chief dave ellens he makes the jump this year to be with you from jrm so what does this do for him and his confidence as a, as a cup crew chief in y'all's relationship well i mean the first one's always special right and you know it's interesting for me because it's the first time you know, I've, I've been fortunate to win a couple races and then you know to get Dave his first one so it's kind of a different experience you know the last time uh that I won the cup race you know it was both of our first wins right in the cup series as, as crew chief and driver so uh a little bit different from my side on that that part of it this time but Dave's done a really good job and was really you know deserving of number one the opportunity at the cup level uh and number two getting to victory lane and I wanted to get to victory lane uh, as bad for myself uh, again as, as I did for for Dave and this group you know I've just enjoyed working with these guys so much over the last, you know, almost two years now with the 43 car. Um, and the work and the effort they put in is really unmatched. You know, I think it shows, too, not uh, not making the playoffs and coming back the first week. You know, there can be some deflation there in a team. And to come out uh, and pull the win off, I think, says a lot about a group. Well, Eric, we appreciate you joining us. It is a fan call in show, though. We have Chandler on the line. Chandler, you're on with Eric Jones. Eric, congratulations, the Darlington dude. I've always knew something like this was coming because you've been doing so great um, in the last couple of races, you know, it's the season. So congratulations once again. So with that win at Darlington, what can we expect out of you and the King Richard Petty next year? I, you know, I, I've, I've already thought about it, right? You know, you think about, okay, well, if you win Daytona and then Darlington, right? Well, now we're on around 12 at this point. But, um, you know, I think it's just a great building block for us. You know, getting back to Victory Lane with the 43 car was, you know, goal number one uh, when I joined up last year with um, with Petty GMS. And so to accomplish that goal is a huge step. Um, but I think just continuing to strengthen relationships that we've built that have gotten us to this point. Uh, and a lot of that has been, you know, with Chevrolet, um, with people internally that we've brought on, uh, as far as people coming into our group, more engineers and, and people of that sort. So, you know, just continue to strengthen that. I think it's going to be the biggest thing that we have to do in the next really six months before we come back and start the 2020. Uh, that we really needed to get done. All right, we got him back, our man, and we asked Eric where he was at. He's actually going to a race. That's a race car driver going to another race. Eric, so I've heard a couple of people, and I read a couple of articles, a surprise win. I think that's completely unfair. What you and Eric, or excuse me, what you and Dave have done this year has been a very steady increase. Like, no question, I think everybody saw where that projection was going. That question was about next year. Let's talk about adding, you talked about engineers. How about a teammate? Noah Gregson joining the fold, right? A guy, he's kind of an interesting personality, pretty fiery on Saturdays. Um, what do you think he's going to add, and what do you look forward to working with a guy like Noah week in and week out? I'm excited uh, to get Noah over there. I think, you know, having him joining up next season is going to be pretty good for us. I mean, I think Noah's a really talented guy who, 
um, is deserving of a cop opportunity at this point. Uh, and one who, when we're kind of going through the list of guys who were potential teammates next year, uh, for myself at Petty GMS, he was the guy that we kept kind of coming back to as one that was going to be their top option. So I was happy we got that done, happy that um, you know, we got him signed up for next year. And I think, you know, going along with what I said, just continuing to build this program stronger and stronger, uh, you know, it takes more than, for the level we want to be at, it takes more than one group. And so uh, it's going to be important to get Noah's strong group and, and get him uh, where we want to be. Eric, we appreciate you calling in. Uh, have a good night in Chico. If you're out at the uh, World Outlaw Race in Chico, go see our man Eric Jones. He's going to go see some uh, woo racing. It should be a good race. Congratulations once again, man. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So cool to see a non-playoff driver successfully. See, we have seen this in the past, but there were some really gigantic names, a like Jeff Gordon and some guys that you, you kind of all felt it. Um, third career win breaking through but he wasn't the only non-playoff guy to have a good run we saw mcdowell run inside the top 10 brad keselowski seeing a little life out of that six car um but perhaps the guy who had the best car ended in failure as well i think actually the belts got knocked off the front of the 19 car or martin church jr um i felt awful when i when i saw this car break on the racetrack because he was having such a good race Missed the playoffs. This is a champion that missed the playoffs. Kim, I know you interviewed him. Uh, what was it like down in there in the garage talking to him after this? Heartbreak. Yeah. I, he was heartbroken. I was heartbroken for him. You could just see the emotion on his face. You could hear it in his voice. And they have tried all season long to get to victory lane. Here they had what was one of the dominant cars. And I think they thought they were going to win. It was a huge surprise when they had that failure. And you could just hear the frustration. I mean, he said he was pissed at the very end of that interview. And I think we've seen kind of it bubbling to the surface, this level of emotion from him. We saw it, you know, a handful of weeks ago when he snapped at James Small on the radio, uh, kind of uncharacteristic of him. Um, I do think they'll get to victory lane before the end of the season, but it, it just has been a battle week in and week out for them. And I think it's starting to kind of chip away at their demeanor. You know, it, it's, uh, there comes a time where you just want the year to be over. Yeah. You know, and... and those guys have battled. They fought. They, I mean, they have. They've run well. They finished fourth in regular season points. Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's not like they were horrible. They just couldn't find a way to get in victory lane. And every time they got close, something would happen. And then here it is again, right on the heels of not making the playoffs. And emotionally, it just you just keep getting knocked down, knocked down, knocked down. And it's like, good lord. So that's when maturity. That's when leadership. That's when all that matters. And that's when. A guy like Joe Gibbs can rally those guys together and say, hey, look, there's still work to be done. Mm -hmm. Martin and James, they got to get everybody together. They got to get themselves together and say, hey, we proved we can do it. We just got to keep swinging. We just got to keep doing it. But it is, you know, it's emotionally so difficult. And I, I feel bad for him because, again, it's on the hills of knowing you're not going to make the playoffs. You answer the bell. You know how hard it is. When you don't make the playoffs, well, you may not have ever experienced it. When you don't make the playoffs, <laughs> It's hard. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. You feel like the land of, of misfit toy. Like you, you don't belong. Nobody, nobody interviews you. Nobody talks to you. Nobody cares. And here you are with a chance to win the race, and then it happens. And at just some point, it just you're like, okay, enough. Let's, and you have to watch your on. three other teammates go yeah. for a championship, which has to make it even harder. Yeah. Well, and I said it. I'm thankful he's announced that he's coming back. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. this would have been an awful year to lose a class act like Truex, who's won a champion. I could argue he's a couple pit stops away from being a multi-time champion. Yes. Um, oh, so I'm finished. thankful he's coming back uh, so we get another run. But, but Truex, while the most obvious non-playoff driver, uh, well, I shouldn't say, I guess Eric Jones won, but, but – of the non-winning teams, McDowell, look, this team <laughs> had a good hot streak. Then they had this penalty, and I thought, okay, that's going to take some wind out of their sails. That's, you know, that's the emotion for a crew chief. I'm like, man, Blake Harris, brand new on top of the pit box. That's going to be, uh, it's going to be really hard for him to get through this. Apparently, I don't know what I'm talking about, because they came out to one of the toughest racetracks, and the worst they finished in either of the stages was 12th. 10th in the second, just continued to chip forward execute very well um they kind of you, you, i tell everybody they had a block and tackle of a day as you can have right nothing spectacular but nothing awful they're one of probably the cleanest races on the board they probably ran in front of the 43 more than the other way around and with if they could have gotten off pit road just a little better then we could be easily talking to michael mcdowell today 
they had a fast race car. They had a fast enough car to win the race in the right situation. Well, speaking of fast cars in the race and playoff drivers, we're going to have another one join us after this. Austin Cendrick started the year off in victory lane at Daytona, got him into the playoffs. We're going to ask him how Darlington treated his car. Ryan Blaney is the closest thing to a rock star that NASCAR has. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney. I am born in Ohio, and I grew up in High Point, North Carolina. I drive the number 12 car for Team Penske. I was really lucky to have a dad who raced NASCAR for, you know, many, many years, and I just grew up around the racetrack and been in my blood for a long time. You always seem to be right there in the mix. Yeah. I won my first race for a very historic team called the Wood Brothers. That kind of got me onto the cup scene. And you don't really think about the speed, you're thinking about a lot of other things, kind of more technical stuff, just because it's our job. It's a challenge for the drivers to kind of learn a completely new vehicle. We talk about how snappy these cars are and not a lot to lean on, you're kind of relying on side force. Your odds are very low. You're racing against 39 other drivers. It's very, very difficult to win. <laughs> and the fans have been incredible. You gotta get out there, man. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. It's cool for us to drive around and be able to see, I mean, just waves of people crowded in every single corner. This is going to give everybody a great kind of behind-the-scenes look of what goes on at the racetrack, but also kind of what the weekly life is like as a driver. Yep. Into the woods. You know, couldn't NBC have rented the whole course out so he didn't have to wait? You know, come on. Yeah, it's nice to be back in the car, Daytona. We just did some very single car, one lap, mock run kind of things just to see what speed we had, and now we got to get it driving good. It's not just what you see on TV. There's a lot of people involved. Fired up and you're ready. Have fun out there. A lot of men and women back at the race shop who work hours and hours to get these cars ready. We're all done, John. Beautiful. That's for Race for the Championship on USA, a documentary. It's a, it's a really good documentary, fun to watch. Uh, obviously a Team Penske driver. we got another Team Penske driver getting ready to talk to, but they got a busy weekend. Uh, look at what they got going on this weekend in the Cup Series and the NTT IndyCar Series. Uh, team Penske going for multiple championships uh, you know, throughout these two series. It's going to be fun to watch. Captain's going to be happy. They got a lot of cars up front, or well, or he's going to be very sad. Austin <laughs> hopes he's really happy because first and second out of Laguna Seca, they want to close that one out. All right, Austin, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Obviously, uh, a lot to fight for over the next couple of weeks. So, Austin, we can talk. We talk about the playoffs all the time. Um, a rookie win the 500. So many ups and downs. Did it feel any different walking into Darlington from the competitors, the the emotion, everybody around you? Could you feel anything different in the garage that the playoffs were here? Yeah, you certainly can. I mean, the, the intensity certainly goes up, and, and the attention to detail certainly goes up. And uh, obviously, it's it's because the stakes are higher, and everyone's got a shot for a championship. So uh, I think uh, nobody takes that lightly. And uh, I think in a, a season where you've got champions of the series, not not in the postseason, you know, for me, I don't look at it as oh, I, I'm going to be in the playoffs next year. It's something I'm going to be able to do every time. I don't see it that way. I mean, I think it, it's an opportunity that I have to make the most of because you don't know when you're going to be in that situation again. So I'm excited for it. It's it's a great opportunity, but uh, I, I'd say I'm on, on, on offense the whole way here. So um, definitely having to claw back some points and be able to execute from here on out, I think it's going to be really important. We, we were together uh, last week during the media tour and you said that Darlington was the biggest challenge you've had so far in motorsports. Uh, how did the Southern 500 treat you? Um, I'd say for, for us as a race team, it was a fairly average day, which uh, I think there's some, some guys who would probably pay high dollar to have an average day there. So uh, from that standpoint, we gained one point to the cut line. But, yeah, definitely a, a grueling race. And I think my mentality going into it, is to stay alert the entire day. It's easy to go into races and think to yourself that, oh, I, I have to just take it easy. Well, Darlington's not a place you can take it easy because you have to be on the edge to, to find the speed, but also to figure out where your car is going and understand the racetrack. So uh, I think there's taking it easy and there's being alert, and, and that's a long time to be alert um, and in a hot day, let alone. So um, for, from that standpoint, uh, I feel like we checked all the boxes there, but um, definitely the most different experience. And I think one of the toughest tests 
not only for 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 the man in the car but the machine and I, I think you saw that a lot in the race only rookie in the playoffs and your first cup series playoff appearance obviously so for you give yourself and your team a grade for the regular season and then what do you guys have to do to improve that grade over the next nine races um i'll give ourselves a check for the regular season i want to give ourselves a check plus by the end of it i like that what school did you go to that's I like school that. i want to yeah, go yeah, to that's my is it check school. or next i like you yeah. I could be a check guy. School I could be a check guy. To. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Austin, you talked about Darlington being a big test, but for a rookie, it was also a repeat racetrack, right? It's a track you had been to. You got to see, we're going to go back to another one, right? We're going to go to Kansas, another repeat racetrack. Do you think that has any sort of an advantage for a guy like you? It doesn't matter with the new car. Like, like you know, we're starting to see these repeat. Does a repeat racetrack suit anyone in the playoffs? I think it suits the, the drivers and teams that are the best at learning. Uh, you can easily come back with your notes and make decisions and make yourself worse than what you were before. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you understand that, and, and I think that's very easy for, for me to do. I think about my first couple years in the Xfinity Series with, with practice and qualifying. It was very easy for me to make my race car a lot worse for the race than what I had in practice. So I think that applies very real uh for for the playoffs and for the first time we're returning to tracks for the first time with the next gen car so uh pretty much every race from here on out with the exception of bristol we're gonna have some sort of experience or some sort of a notebook so uh, i think in that stance the game has changed uh from from what you know the race teams have had to had to do during the week i think everybody just kind of leaves the shop on wednesday with all the decisions made for where the race car has to be uh but those decisions earlier in the year were based off of a lot of different things than what they are now. So I, I think in that standpoint that the game's certainly different in the playoffs for that reason. So Austin, what is it that you feel like you and your team need to do to advance out of this round and get to the next one? I think what we did at Darlington was, was the first step of that. And I was stay out of trouble, execute. We had no issues on, on pit road. Um, we, we had a solid day there. I had a solid day on the racetrack. I'd say from the performance side, I, I wish we were a little bit better, um, but I'm going to have to do that and more uh, to, to advance in the round of 12. I, I think Kansas, there's absolutely nowhere to hide. You have to have the speed. You have to restart. You have to have the pit stops and the track position. Um, we got to do it all. I mean, that's, that's that when you're below the cut line and you don't have a lot of points, that's what you got to do. And I've, I've had to do that before. It, it's been a little while since I haven't had points in a playoff system, but um, that, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to check all those boxes and DNFs can't happen. But um, other than that, win a race. That'd be that'd be the best way to make the next round is to win the race. And if that's a Kansas or Bristol, that'd be uh, that'd be the best way to get us through. Well, that is the one way we all know we'll get it done. Austin, you're doing a great job. I uh, appreciate you joining us. We'll see you this weekend. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, I think, you know, listen, for a rookie season, Everyone in the Daytona 500, and that's one win. But also on top of that, just the maturity shown throughout the year. Very few mistakes from Austin Cindric. Just had a, a solid, solid rookie campaign. I like that he hasn't counted them out either. Like, oh, he's yeah. already looking at the rest of the playoff races, like, down the line and saying, well, we've got experience at pretty much all of them, whereas he could have just told us, you know, I'm just focused on the next week. All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to talk some IndyCar series. We've got our guys, Townsend Bell. And Hinch, they're experts. They will let us know what's going to happen this weekend. This championship fight is tight. The last one at Belle Isle is won by Will Power. Oh, God. Scott Dixon chasing his seventh championship. I can't believe we did that. Marcus Erickson wins. He just won the Indy 500. I can't believe it. I'm so happy. Joseph Newgarden within whispering distance of the championship. And that's his fifth win on the season. It is the closest championship fight in the last 20 years. All right, you can see it this week in Motorsports, Dale Jr. down low. We got the modified man, Jimmy Blewett. Then we got race for the championship on USA Xfinity Series out in Kansas. And then Sunday, 3 p.m. on NBC, the IndyCar finale at Laguna Seca. Kansas will host the NASCAR Cup Series. It doesn't matter the sport. It doesn't matter the series. 
There's nothing like crowning a champion. It is the best of the best. Uh, and these two fine gentlemen right here, Hinchcliffe and T-Bell, get to do it in perhaps the most beautiful place in the world, out of Laguna Seca. So Townsend, it's, it's close to your home. What's it like out there? And how excited are you to see this neck-and-neck -neck battle come down to the finish out at Laguna? Well, I'm, ex I'm always excited for a race in California, Steve. Uh, I travel back and forth most of the year like you all do, but across the country. So this final stretch on the West Coast is, uh, is personally a joy, but professionally incredible just because of the battle that we've had this season. It's the closest IndyCar championship in history. There are still four drivers in contention. We're coming off a great race up in Portland. And, uh, man, I mean, tough to predict because so many things can happen on turn one of an IndyCar race. But you see the points right there. Newgarden and Dixon tied for second, just 20 points back of Will Power. There's bonus points on offer for pole, leading a lap, and most laps led. Uh, 50 points for a win. So anything's possible there. Erickson's still in with a shot. And McLaughlin, who won in spectacular fashion at Portland, also in the hunt. But, gosh, I, I mean... Scott Dixon's so tough to bet against, especially the way he can come from deep in the field seemingly with ease and finish on the podium these days. I mean, it really seems like there's nothing Scott can't do. And we've, we've talked a lot over the year, Townsend, and over the year about how he's kind of a second half of the season driver. We've seen a little bit of that already, bringing himself back into contention with wins in Toronto and Nashville. And, I mean, this is a track he's run well at in the past. There's no doubt about it. So you cannot count six time out. What's so cool about this top three heading into the final race, yes, Marcus and Scott McLaughlin, they're both technically, mathematically still in it. But this is really a three-horse race when you break it down. Nine IndyCar championships between those three drivers. There's going to be another one coming this Sunday, and I can't wait to see who it's going to be. All right, Hinch, I'm going to put you on the spot. I hope you guys argue about this. Uh, who is the favorite to win this race? Well, look, I, I think it's all we always talk about the importance of qualifying, especially at a track like Laguna Seca. It's a track position track. It's very difficult to make overtakes happen. And one of the guys running for the championship happens to be tied with Mario Andretti for the most polls of all time. He's, he's basically the best qualifier in the history of the sport. And so if you're going to put money on somebody, he's got a 20-point buffer in the championship. He's the best qualifier in the series right now. It's still going to be tough. It's not going to be easy by any stretch, but I got to think Will Power brings home his second title this Sunday. Mm -hmm. I don't really agree. And, and Jeff, thanks for rooting us on because <laughs> last year, I mean, listen, let's face it. Nothing has changed year over year in the IndyCar series with respect to the chassis, the engine, or the track. And we got the same cast of characters. Who dominated last year? young American sensation, fellow Southern Californian, Colton Herta. And, you know, he's the most he's the most talked about driver in the series right now, mainly because of his F1 potential opportunity coming up, being the first American uh, with a real shot to, to run in the top 10 in a long, long time in Formula One. It's Herta's house. His father was super quick here uh, at Laguna Seca. So I think he's a spoiler in this. I, I think there's a really good shot that Colton Herta wins again at Laguna Seca and throws everybody for a loop in terms of the championship contenders. So that's what I'm looking for. But when it comes down to the chaos of a championship at Laguna and the unpredictability of that racetrack, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to count out Dixon. But he's got 20 points to make up. Can he pull off a miracle? He's done it before. Townsend, you mentioned the unpredictability of the racetrack. 11 turns, the corkscrew. It is one of my favorite tracks on the IndyCar circuit. Where is the most action going to happen when we're watching this weekend? What parts of the track should we be paying attention to? Well, you're going to want to watch the start uh, for turn two for sure. Uh, that hairpin can, can throw everyone for a loop. We didn't get it at Portland. Uh, miraculously, no first lap crash in Portland. There's over 70% chance historically that that would have happened. It didn't happen. At Laguna Seca, high percentage chance of contact on the first lap. The thing about Laguna Seca that you have to remember is that the track surface is so old and the degradation is so bad on the tires that it doesn't matter where you sit on the performance curve. By that, I mean if, if Penske is the best car on new tires and Ganassi is the best car on old tires, 
every lap the car handles differently at Laguna Seca and you can't be good on all of it. It just doesn't happen there. So that's where I think it gets really interesting. And I think that's where it opens up for a non-championship contender to win the race and mix it up with the championship contenders uh, for some chaos. Last year, we saw Grosjean fired in on Jimmy Johnson going into the corkscrew. It was a, it was long odds at best that he made it work. So that's another area of the track to watch is break zone for the corkscrew. James, what do you think? Yeah, you know, Townsend, I love the fact that you brought up the surface. You know, the, the fact that they are repaving this track at the end of this season for next year, that's all the indication you need that they know that this surface is old. And what that's done is it's made it incredibly abrasive. Like you said, it's so hard on those Firestone tires, but yet there's no grip. It's such a porous surface that there's almost no contact patch touching that relatively little contact patch touching the actual racetrack. So you have super slick conditions, but massive degradation over stand. It makes it a huge challenge for these drivers. And I think to your point, I actually do agree that that really does open it up for maybe a surprise winner here because it is so tough to balance the speed, the pace, the performance with the degradation over a stint. Coolen hurt his race there twice. He's won there twice. He's, he's batting a thousand. But if there's one track that could throw a, a pretty unpredictable winner at it, it could be this one. Season finale for IndyCar, 3 o'clock on NBC and Laguna Seca. Basically, it's a battle. We have a couple Penske cars and some Ganassi cars right behind them. But Hinch, we buried the lead. First year, full-time in the booth. I know you missed the driver's seat. How's it been? And has Townsend told you that you have to buy dinner after the race on Sunday? I would suggest not letting Lee Diffie buy the wine or order the wine. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, honestly, guys, it's been, it's been a great year. It's been a lot of fun working with everybody you know, Townsend Lee, the whole crew over there on the IndyCar side. And also you guys gotten to do some work on the, on the NASCAR side, the IMSA stuff together. So for, uh, for first year transferring over from the, from the seat behind the steering wheel to the seat behind the microphone, it's been a blast. And uh, Townsend, I don't know where are we having dinner on Sunday. This is news to me. Oh, don't you worry. I, I found the restaurant for uh, rookie hazing. It's, it's a Japanese place that is so good and so expensive that they don't even bother putting up a sign outside. It's not even on, it's called, you can't even it's find it on a Google out, right? search. <laughs> no, no, definitely yeah. not. I like it, um, guys. And, and we're bringing Diffy with a full order. Yeah, well, good luck. Good, good luck. luck with if that. you can keep up with Diffy, it's a good thing it's the last race. Guys, enjoy it. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun to watch. So uh, enjoy Laguna and good luck at the call Sunday, 3 p.m. on NBC. Thank you. All right, Kim, I hope you heard that notes. New person, end of the year. Just, I guess that was so. a little I, bit I gotta of a, start saving that up That was now, a little bit of a heads up. That was a little bit Because I know a, you like wine. So. Oh, well, the, the, uh, the, tour, the tour guide director <laughs> will have a nice restaurant picked out, a wine okay. selected. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they do accept um, uh, financing. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah. yeah, it's self-financing. Self-financing. Joshua, <laughs> here, save us. You're on Ask <laughs> America Motor Mouse. <laughs> Yeah, guys, thanks for taking my question. Um, this is about the future of Kansas Speedway, so could you humor me for a sec? It's my understanding that there's this rumor going about that both Kansas and Richmond could potentially lose a race date in the future. Many factors in there include promoting just one event, such as the spring races on their websites, and as we know, there has been low attendance at both the track both of the tracks for at least the last couple of races. So in your opinions, could we possibly see Kansas and or Richmond lose a date in the next year or so? If Josh, so, oh. what tracks, current, former, or new, do you see replacing those race days and why? Josh, great question, and that is a heated debate even here in Charlotte because the schedule hasn't mm -hmm. come out. Uh, Jeff, it's Richmond, it's Kansas, but it's even more than that. We've seen other tracks go to one date. What's your thoughts on tracks going to one date uh, and some of the changes we have seen really overall in the schedule? Well, I think NASCAR is committed to going to as many places as possible. I didn't say run as many races as possible, going to as many places as possible. You saw what happened in L.A. They ran on a quarter-mile football field, and it worked. And, you know, that showed, you know, going next year to a, a street course. So NASCAR has shown the willingness to try different things. If you're going to try different things, you've got to take a race from somewhere. I, I haven't seen the schedule. I don't know what the schedule looks yeah. like. But I think every racetrack right now is looking over their shoulder and saying, okay, what do we got to do to make sure we don't lose a race here? And that's by getting people in the grandstands, having great racing. All that stuff matters. 
you got to have the support of the local community. Well, Kevin, I like it, your perspective because I know you're a race fan and you yep. love the sport, but you're also like you're the socialite, you're the foodie, you like these towns, yes. you like these different areas. Yeah. So when you look around the country, like where are areas of the country that you would love to see us go? Uh, is there like an area or a state that we, you think we should visit? Yeah, first of all, I would not be surprised if Kansas and Richmond both lose a date because it makes a single race at those tracks more of a keystone event. I would love to see more races in the Pacific Northwest. I thought going to Portland this year in the NASCAR Xfinity Series was great. There were so many avid race fans out there. So I think the more we can spread out in the upper corners of the U.S. or even go back to Canada, like a Montreal race, mm -hmm. uh, I think would be phenomenal for any of the series. You bring up the one race, and I will say, I didn't know how it was, Pocono amazing, Michigan packed, yeah. New Hampshire packed. So I do think it is making them more of a marquee event in the markets, and they're getting filled up. But this week, the market is Kansas. Uh, we have seen a race there, won by Kurt Busch in the spring. All right, Jeff, shake your Magic 8 ball, your crystal ball. Give me your prediction. What are we going to see? Who's going to run well? What What's Kansas going to look like for the playoffs? A lot of Toyotas in the front. Mm -hmm. That's what I predict. I think that, that I think Toyota's got it together on a mile and a half. So I think uh, if you look at uh, that racetrack, they're going to get spread all over the track, running from the bottom to the top. Track slickens up, a lot like we saw last weekend. I just think Toyota's got to not have the engine problems. They've got to not have problems. But I just see them as having tons of speed. Now, having said that, the Piskies came to play this week. They have more speed than I anticipated, but I think the, I think the Toyota is going to have an advantage. I mean, you look at the spring race, five of the top six for Toyotas. Uh, I'm going to narrow down my pick. I'm going to say Truex, and maybe it's because I was so up close and personal. She just went all in. She just I went all Truex. in. Uh, it's going to be Truex. I think they're going to use you know that frustration to their advantage. He's a two-time winner at Kansas, so we're going to have an 18th different winner this weekend. All right, flip it. Who, who are you worried about? Mm, I'm worried about Austin Dillon. You know, this is this is the kind of racetrack that has given them fits. Uh, I'm worried about those guys getting through. And then Chase Briscoe. Mm. We've seen Chase Briscoe have some really good runs and some really not so good runs. Uh, I think this is a pivotal weekend for both of those two teams. Chase I, Briscoe, for me, is the one that I'm eyeing. Like, he's got to do something big, and I just don't see it happening with you know how contentious the field is. Yeah, no, I have to. I have to say the same thing. How about let's talk Saturday. Great race in Darlington. <laughs> Unbelievable. I got a point blank one. Simple as this. Sheldon Creed, he's the first one on the outside looking in. Does Sheldon Creed make the Xfinity Series playoffs by points or by win? By points. He'll get in on by points. I was starting to question myself. He can't make mistakes. They got to get through these next few races, but I think he gets in. I don't care what he does as long as we have as much fun uh, as we did in the end of that race. Sheldon, you saw a playoff eligible spot just evaporate in front of his face. Despite that, he still had a smile on his face because of how much fun he had racing. You know it's a good race when you can see that. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's racing with the Cup champ yeah. and Noah Gregson, who is going to the Cup Series. I think Sheldon and his crew chief have moved up together from trucks. Great call, but the challenge is learning the new car, the new series. They have learned it. That's going to be on Saturday from Kansas on USA. But Sunday, 3 o'clock, USA. We're all going to be there. Pit Road, we're going to be yeah. up in the booth. We have Xfinity and Cup for Mountain Kansas. Join us. It's going to be great. The playoffs continue. Will it be the Toyotas? Will it be a surprise win? Will Kevin Harvick win his way in?